You can't just go, I believe in Jesus, now my life will change. That belief has to come with the knowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Because that's who He is. He's a Savior. So if I believe in Him, I believe He's a Savior. But what is He saving? Me. Why do I need saving? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. What am I doing now? I'm repenting. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church message of the week. Love Key Church is a local expression of a part of the body of Christ with a focus on creating a place, opportunity, and atmosphere through worship music and the Word where people can encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, Valetta, and our four children, we recently launched Love Key Church right here in Somerset West. Enjoy the message. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. Thank you so much. God bless you as you listen to this word. I, I feel very strongly that, that God is has led us to a certain point and it's almost this week, even last week I started experiencing that he's saying we're starting a new chapter in our ministry. And, uh, oh yeah, the kids who want to, they can go to kids' church, but you don't have to if you really enjoy me speaking. Um, You're more than welcome to go. So, just an interesting little fact that I found quite amazing this week. When God spoke to us about planting this church and starting our first service, He gave us the date, 22 November. And today's message is message number 22. And the first day that we started in this venue, a lady that was here pointed out that it is, was the 22nd of Nisan according to the Jewish calendar. So we, we had a 22 and a 22 and now... I feel today, with the start of this message, there's also a shift. And the shift I feel and I believe what God wants to do, now that we have a community that's starting to um, become more regular, that He wants to build foundations. He wants us to lay some solid foundations and make sure that when we say words that we use often in Christianese, (laughs) when we talk to people, you know, stuff like repentance, faith, salvation that we really know what it means. Not based on my opinion or someone else's opinion, but according to the Word of God. So are, are you ready to build? Yes. Three of you. All right. It's always about three people. I want to say 12 of you. I want to say 15. Come on. Are you ready to build? Yes. Moy. Luckily, Ben sounds like five people. Okay. <laughs> There's a line that Uncle Angus uses a lot. If you've ever been to an Angus Bucken event, he says, good people don't go to heaven, believers go to heaven. And the first time I heard that, I was like, oh my word, that's true. And this week I was was, um, driving here close and I got to, in South Africa we say robot, got to a traffic light and um, there was someone begging and on his sign it says, I'm not a bad person. Help, or something like that. And then I realized, you know, that, that is how many people in the world think. They think, I'm not a bad person, so I deserve certain things, or I should be getting that, or this should be happening, or this shouldn't be happening. But a lot of the times, their measuring stick for good is the bad things they don't do. If you're following me. I don't murder people, I don't steal, I don't kill, so I'm a good person. Instead of going, what was I created to be? And am I measuring up to what God has called me to be? There's a massive difference. When, when the gender-based violence thing broke open in our nation uh, a while ago, I mean, it's, it's been happening all the time, it's just there was this moment where everyone was talking about it, there was this whole um, uproar in the Cape Town, and obviously, it's wrong. It's an injustice, absolutely. And in that moment, I was going, I was talking to God. I said, what do we as Christians do about this? How do, we, how do we approach this thing? Because if Christian men and women from the past, you know, did a better job, this wouldn't have happened on their watch, but it has. So what do we do to make sure it doesn't go forward? And I, I remember this thing. Some of you who are my age will maybe remember this. Uh, when we were young, there was... 
there was these billboards up. It says, real men don't rape. Real men don't rape. And I remember that as a child. And, and I, was, I was seeing these things on the news, and I was hearing, I was remembering that picture, and I felt God say to me, what a low bar for being a man. And it just this blew my mind. And I started saying, Lord, what should we do? How should we see this? A friend of mine from the States wrote a book, Love Well. And I was thinking of this book suddenly, and I felt God say to me, put those things together. Real men love well. Real men love well. That's the bar. But how do we love well? We need to have the right foundations. So that's why we're going to get into this. So, so that those of you who have been with us for a while, you'll know that our, our big values are encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life. We started with a series on encountering God. We spoke for quite a few weeks now on aligning with His purposes. This is almost like a sub-series under the series Aligning with God called Foundations. And our first topic today is repentance. Are you excited? Come on, who's ready to repent? Amen, hallelujah, glory. So, I want to frame this a little before I get into this. Those of you who are here today, before you walked from the parking area up the stairs into this building, you didn't think twice about coming into this building or using the elevator, right? Subconsciously, something did happen though. You saw that the building is solid, it's not moving, there's no cracks in the walls that you could see anyway, and you instinctively knew it's safe to enter. So much so that some of you even brought your children in here. Why would you do that? Especially if you're here for the first time. Have you seen the building inspector's reports? Have you studied, studied the foundations of the building? Because you know by looking at how the building stands, that the foundations must be solid. It must be firm. Right? Do you agree? This is, it makes sense to me. It's the first thing that they build after the planning is finished and they start with the building. They lay the foundation, right? We have an architect in the house. Foundations. It's where it starts. They lay a strong foundation that can handle what is going on top of it. So there was, there was planning, and then there's the start of the foundations. Now, if you build a weak foundation, if your plan says, I want to go up 10 stories, that's the plan. That's the ideal. And you only build a foundation that can handle three or four or five, what's going to happen? It's not going to work. It's going to fall yeah, down. Collapse, that's a good word. Thank you. The same thing goes for our lives. When we see a man or a woman or a marriage or a family that is falling apart, if we can see it from the outside, we can know that the foundations are either completely missing or it's faulty or it's built on the wrong kind of foundation. My wife and I are sick and tired of being sick and tired of seeing marriages fail in our own community, around this country, in the church in general, but around the world as well. It's not okay. It's just not okay. And we are taking a stand in our lives and in this ministry against that. We love you so much. We want to see you thrive. I want to see your marriage thrive. I want to see your family and your children thrive. Why? Because a nation that's healthy is built on healthy families. Not perfect families. I didn't say perfect. Healthy families. And a healthy family is built on Jesus. It doesn't matter where you come from. We've got some blended families in this, in this congregation. I've married two of them. The first two marriages I've or weddings I did. Blended families. But I could see that even though there's stuff in the past, God has come and done a redeeming thing. He's done a reconciling thing that only He can do. And that's what I'm talking about. And we need strong foundations because when the storms come, not if, when the storms come, when the winds come, we have to be strong. 
I may have said this before, but I'm going to say it again. This was something that was quite profound to me when I was at a church planting conference. They said that a life-giving church, so that's important, a church that has life. How many of you have been in churches where you felt, there's no life in it? <laughs> it's like, creak, creak. <laughs> there are churches like that. Where we, yeah, we're not gonna, I'm not here to badmouth any churches. It's not about that. But we've all had those experiences where we go, why are they here? <laughs> Um, but a life-giving church should do the four following things. Get lost people saved. If you agree, say amen. amen. Get lost people saved. Amen. Get saved people healed. Amen. Get healed people to discover their callings. Amen. And then send those people out in their callings. Amen. amen. And all four of those people should feel welcome on a Sunday. That's a big one. We are hoping to do that. And the way that we say it, the same thing, is to say we want people to encounter God. Because if you are unsaved and you encounter God, you will become saved. You cannot encounter Him really and ignore Him. Then you didn't have an encounter with Him. I'm convinced about that. If we encounter Him, we get saved. If we had backslidden and encounter Him, we get back on track. And if we are deep in a great relationship with God and we encounter Him, we go deeper. When we encounter Him, we want to align more with who He is and who we are in Him. So we grow from where we were to where God wants us to go. And we get to that place where we reign in life. We will start actually living like the sons and daughters of the living God, the only king on this planet. And we start seeing things change around us because we know whose we are. Amen? Amen. And we help others to do the same. That's very important. So the foundations we're going to do, I have them on the screen. We're going to go through them. I'm going to tell you all eight that we're going to go through. And then the why. And then we're going to get into the first one. First one is repentance. We're going to talk about that today. And you'll understand, hopefully, by the end, why the sermon name is U-Turn. Then we're going to talk about salvation. I believe that there is a huge misunderstanding in the general, in the general church about what, don't give me a jam, about what salvation really means and what it really entails. So we want to get into that. But if we don't understand repentance, we won't understand salvation. And the next one is faith. What is faith? Well, like some pastors of churches I've visited, got to have faith. Got to have faith, man. Faith. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Then the next one is lordship, obedience. They go together. Then baptism of water or baptism with water. Then baptism with the Holy Spirit. Then spiritual family, local church, and finally discipleship. Why are we going to talk about these foundations? Because what we ultimately want to get to with all of you is when you understand these foundations, when they are solid, it impacts your identity. And your identity affects everything in your life. If your foundations are solid, it means your identity is sure. You have no, you don't doubt at all whose you are and why you are here. A couple of weeks back, I preached on um, these things and I, and I said, we need to ask ourselves four questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my message? And to whom is my message? But firstly, you need to know that you are worth it. God made you for a reason. And if you don't live out your identity, we all miss out. But we make the mistake of comparing ourselves to others and thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. But you're making the biggest mistake of your life. But if we get our foundations right, we will know who we really are. Your identity impacts your marriage. Marriage is key. Guys, oh, I'm going to get into that now. And that your marriage impacts your parenting. And parenting impacts your children. 
And then this also impacts the way you operate in your community and within your purpose at your job or whatever that might be. This is part of the framing still, so stay with me. The enemy, in my opinion, and according to the Word of God, no, this is not, my opinion doesn't matter. According to the Word of God, the enemy is on a war path to strip men of their God-given identity by targeting them through sin so that they will fall. So, I want, have you heard this, the scripture that says, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy? Have you heard the scripture that says, He's like, he walks around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Do you believe that that scripture is true? All right. What do you think he came to kill, steal, destroy, and devour? What? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God made up of? Yes. The people of God. Amen? See, I prepped them beforehand. They know these things because I talk about it all the time. If you are the enemy, and that is your plan, if your plan is to kill, steal, and destroy the people of God, and you used to live in heaven, the Bible tells us the devil was an angel in heaven who just thought that I want to be God. Um, he just thought I want to be like God, and he was thrown out of heaven and into hell. So, because he was there, do you think he knows God's plan? Do you think he knows God's order? I believe he does. So, because he knows that God created man first, and from man, woman, and that God has a role for the man and a role for the wife, and they are equal in their roles, but different in how God has positioned them. He's going to go for the men. Maybe some of you have come from churches that are a bit more traditional or even more charismatic. It doesn't matter. Hands up. Out of those churches that you've been to before, who is the most active in the church in terms of Bible studies, groups, nights, evenings, mornings, whatever? The women or the men? The women. Something is wrong with this picture. The devil has effectively dismantled men in their true identities in God. And this is now how he works. If I can get the guy to fall for the three things that most men fall for, power, money, or sex, if he can fall for one of those things, what happens? The wife gets hurt. Now she's already hurt. There's a wound. What does the devil do? He comes and lies to her about our identity, about her worth, about what she should be doing. And he uses Jezebel's spirits and all other kinds of women to speak into that lie. What happens to the children? They get hurt. They get hurt. I don't care what you tell yourself. Divorce hurts children. It does. It has an impact. Yes, God can heal. Yes, God can restore. But there's a wound. We have to recognize that. And then you lie to the children. Now, what happens if the wife and the children never get healing from this wound? The cycle continues. That boy in the broken home, he now gets told, you're from a broken home. That is now part of his identity. What is the devil going to do? He's going to keep telling him, you're from a broken home. You're useless. You will never amount to anything. Your marriage will never work. It'll fail. Marriage is nonsense. Marriage will never work. Those lies come through. Ba, ba, ba. And if no one speaks into your life, the enemy is lazy. But he's effective. If I can topple the man, I can topple the wife, I can topple the kids, and I can make this cycle go around and around and around. And what do we see in our world? Two-thirds of marriages in the church, outside the church, broken. This is not God's will. What are we going to do about it? I want to ask you today, are we going to be part of the solution or part of the problem? That's why we have to get these foundations solid. A selfish entitlement pursuit of worldly happiness, the I deserve mentality, lust, money, and convenience is standing in the way of true saints of God changing the world. Fatherlessness 
is at an all-time high. In 2016, the stats in our nation show that two, uh, 62% of children were born without a father in the home. So that's 62% physical fatherlessness. No dad. Then there's the other 38%, which we know from stats. There is all kinds of other forms of fatherlessness. Abuse, neglect, whatever it might be. And we have a very small percentage of sons and daughters growing up in a home where they are loved and feel secure and know who they are. Children are lost without identity. If we don't tell our children, let me say that again. If we don't teach our children to love Jesus by showing them, not telling them, showing them that we love Jesus, someone else will teach them not to love Jesus. If we don't teach them and show them how to love Jesus, someone else will teach them not to. So where do we begin? What is that famous song? Let's start at the very beginning. We're going to start at the very beginning. Our state of being apart from God and the very first step to getting back into relationship with Him is repentance. That was just my introduction, guys. Are you ready? Woo! Come on, Jesus. All right. The message title today is U-Turn. And uh, if you think, I don't know how to spell, it's for a reason. <laughs> so once again, I won't go into too many of the explanation again, but let's look at the definition. The definition of repentance, biblically speaking, um, most people know this definition from the Greek, metanoia. It's called throughout the Bible as a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it is more than that. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, a 180 degrees turn towards God. Not like some pastors who get excited, say a 360 turn, <laughs> then you just end up where you were. It's a 180 turn. From the, I learned this in this week only. There's a beautiful meaning for the Hebrew word repent. It is made up of two words, sheen bait. And what it means is to destroy the house, to burn down the house. So if you imagine that the way you were thinking before Jesus is like a house you built. He's saying if you repent... You don't just turn around away from it to God. You actually burn down that way of thinking, that way of doing, that way of being, and then you turn around and you go to God. Because what happens if you do a 180? Sometimes that thing is still there. So how powerful is this explanation? It's very important that we also say what repentance is not. Because I think a lot of people understand it. Repentance is not being suddenly perfect. Doing everything right. Because a lot of people have sat in sermons and felt, yo, I need to get my life right before I can come to Jesus. Because it's somehow it's not communicated correctly. And what do you end up doing? You end up never coming to Jesus. Why? Because you will never be perfect in your own strength. God is calling us to Him through repentance so that we can become healed and perfect in Him by His power, by His grace, by His supernatural ability that He gives us. What repentance is not is condemnation. It is not condemnation. Condemnation needs to guilt and shame and pulls you further away from God. I will get into that a bit more later. Repentance is not sin management. It is not sin management. It's not going, oh, I did it again, oh man, I'm sorry, blah, 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 I'm just going to, because then you get stuck, sin management is trying to fix it yourself, and what goes with this, another one, is behavior modification, repentance is not behavior modification, 
That is also coming from your own strength. All right, let's get into the Bible. Who's excited about reading the Word of God? Come on, this side is powerful. What about this side? Come on. Who's excited about reading the Bible? Yes, please. Mexican wave. That's what I Macarena. Where did that come from? All right. Mark 6, 10 to 13. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, sending them out. In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. That sentence is a little weird to me, but you know, because when you leave, you are departing. But anyway, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Do you see how much power we actually have as, as ministers of the gospel? But that's not the focus right now. This is the focus. Assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more, sorry, not this one. But the next one. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Here's the crux. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. When Jesus sent them out, he said, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Okay, go. When's the last time you raised someone from the dead? According to scripture, this should be normal. It should not be a big event. But somehow we're not in that headspace where we really believe that it's possible. My wife and I, this is going to freak some of you out. My wife and I have sent, have sent some demons out of people. That's very interesting. But anyway, that's for another day. But we, we through Christ in us, this is how we can live, how we should be living. But the point I want to make here is the one that says... He said, do this. They went, and the Bible tells us, so they went out and preached that people should repent. That's what they preached. Acts 2, 36 to 39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus whom you crucified, sorry. Now when they heard this, this is, this is when Peter did his first sermon after the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, he preached to people that were all gathered there for the Passover and all the other things happening. And he spoke to them and he preached. They thought everyone was drunk because they were talking in different languages, you know that moment. And here he laid out the whole sermon for them. And when he finished and said, this is the Christ whom you crucified, they, they were cut to the heart. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What happened there? They had a revelation. They had a realization. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Powerful. Acts 3, 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and, now, and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So they just healed the man. And that healing has given an opportunity to preach the gospel. What do they say when they preach the gospel? Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that many times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about God, which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Acts 8.22. Are you seeing a pattern? Acts 8.22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What happened there is this guy who was a, a truth-sayer and a magician was following them and seeing what was happening when they laid hands on people and they received the Holy Spirit, and he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And they said to him, repent. Your intentions are all wrong. Acts 26, 19 to 21. They're speaking to a king here because they were arrested. He says, oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared. Okay, so this is Paul sharing his conversion with King Agrippa. Um, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus. In other words, what did I declare? I shared the gospel. Then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, promising, uh, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Can you just focus on that for a moment? They should repent, turn to God, and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. That is, fruit of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. I'm sharing the great big news of Jesus, and they captured me. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 1 John 1, 6-10. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. The moment I gave my life to Jesus was on a camp in 1994. I was two years old. <laughs> nice try. Um, no, 1994, I was 16, and I had an encounter with the living God, during which I had a revelation, a realization that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And when I repented from my sin and my old ways, and I ran into the arms of the Father, that's the moment I became a new creation. I got saved. I was born again. That was the moment. These are some principles I want you to, to try and take away. We need to repent so that we can receive what Jesus has done. Then you will be reconciled and redeemed from the curse of sin and the law and return to the Father. If you don't repent, you can't receive what Jesus has done. He has done it and He loves you. But if you don't turn, if you don't acknowledge that what He's done, if you don't receive it, He loves you so much He lets you choose for yourself. Your unwillingness to repent, to change your mind, to change your thinking, to change the trajectory of your life will withhold the plan of God for your life. It will. I know from experience. <laughs> the choice is each and every one of us to make. Repent, receive, reconcile, refresh, rejoice, and rest. Or refuse, reject, rebel, and be a reproach. You want me to say that again? We have a choice. We can either repent and from that flows, we receive the fullness of what Christ has done. We are reconciled to God. We are refreshed in our being. We can rejoice and find rest in God. Or we can refuse what He has done. Reject Him. Rebel against Him. And be a reproach. In the kingdom of God. I recently listened to a message from John MacArthur. He's quite a bold preacher. Some people think controversial. But he preaches the word from what I've seen. And he, he, did, he did a great sermon about the difference between two men who were both close to God. 
He compared the life of Judas with the life of Peter and saw so many similarities between the two of them. They both spent time with Jesus 24-7 for three years. They both did a lot of, both, um, they both betrayed Jesus. But one was restored and one killed himself. And then he made this beautiful point. He says, true love of Jesus leads to true repentance. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter really loved Jesus. Judas did Okay, let's read this as well. Romans 2, 3 to 11. This is a church that loves the Bible. Who's excited? Come on, baby. Yes, leave it word. Romans 2, verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you, des- or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who be who by patient continuance is doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, listen to that, you can obey unrighteousness. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there's no partiality with God. I know that's a lot of scripture. But we need to see how important repentance is. How many of you guys listened to my message on fear of the Lord? I think we had like 30 scriptures about the fear of the Lord. Leanne is a champ. You've heard me say this many times if you've been with us for a while. Where the name of our church comes from. The key to salvation is the revelation of how much God loves us. Paul just said it as well in Romans. The goodness of God is what leads to repentance. In other words, the thing that sparked my salvation is an encounter with God that triggers a revelation, a strong realization, which then brings a conviction. Not a condemnation, a conviction that I'm not on the right path, that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I cannot save myself, and that the one who created me, God, has the answer. Therefore, I fall in love back. I fall in love with Him back. And this is true repentance. We just saw the difference between Peter and Judas. The one loved, the one didn't. If I say I've repented, but I don't do what God says, it's normally a sign that I may not really love Him. I want to read this again. The key to salvation is the revelation of how much God loves you. In other words, the thing that will spark your salvation is having an encounter with Him that triggers a revelation and brings conviction that you need Him. Amen? Amen. Let's put it in a different way. He has the answer because He loves me. So much that he was prepared to give his own son to take the sin of the world on himself and die in our place, a ransom for all mankind. That revelation of how much he loves me is followed by a desire to love him back and a choice to devote my heart, mind, and strength to him for the rest of my life. Part of this revelation must be linked to an eternity perspective. When we fully grasp or at least start to grasp, to understand, that we, will not live, that we will not live forever, and that there is a heaven and a hell, and that our choices here determine where and how we will spend eternity. We have to make a decision, or delay our decision, or try to ignore it. But a decision has to be made. 
Romans 3 states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it also tells us that we have no excuse to not know there is a God. If someone says there's no God, I don't see him. They don't have an excuse. They just want to not believe that he's there. Romans 3, 21 to 26. It is in our letter. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being, listen to this, this is very important. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation for our, uh, by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. In the complete horrible state the world is in because of the choices of our forefathers, the fall of man, we all fall short. But, <laughs> and this is so important, we are being justified freely by His grace. Our world looks the way it does because Adam and Eve disobeyed. They disobeyed by eating something they were told not to eat. I believe disobedience is followed, follows a lack of love and it follows trust in a lie. I've said this before as well. Nicky Gumbel put it so well. He says, we swallow a lie about God before we swallow the forbidden fruit. In other words, you believe a lie about who God is and who you are in Him before you do a sin. I realized so many things. So when I would sin, I, I now step back and I go, what is the lie that I believe about God? Why did I do that? Where did it really come from? And then come back in line with the truth of who God is. Before repentance, which leads to salvation, we are in this sinful fallen state caused by the fall of man, caused by Adam's disobedience. So our, nat so our natural inclination is to disobey. If you don't believe me, ask any parent. How many of you had kids that are perfect from young, they just did everything right, they listened to you, they, they, just, they never sinned against you, they were just obedient, right? Anyone? That is the best proof <laughs> of the fact that we are born in sin. But I'm a good person. No, you're not. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, but I deserve that. No, you don't. You, don't. you deserve death. <laughs> but God, amen. The thing, why am I, am I harping on this? Because if you don't realize how much you need Jesus, you think you don't need Him. One of my friends, way back, he went to plant a church in Melbourne, Australia. And he told me, the hardest part of their ministry is to convince people that they need Jesus. Because people are comfortable. They've got money, they've got security, they've got saving plans, they've got a nice house and a car. And they go like, eh, I don't really, I don't really need Jesus. Yeah. I'm pretty happy. If you don't realize that there is an eternity, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and your choices now determine where and how you will spend that, you're in dangerous waters. And I will not be doing my job, and I will not be loving you if I don't tell you that. We need to know this. And you've seen, half of what I've read today is Scripture. It's in the Bible. We all need to know that before repentance that leads to salvation, we are sinners on our way to hell and will face the full force of God's wrath and anger He has towards sin and disobedience. Because He is a good God, because He is love, and because He said, my word is this, and I cannot go against my own word. That's a whole sermon on its own. We'll get there one day. However, the fear of spending eternity in hell is not the right motivation to repent either. 
I don't want you to go, whoa, I don't want to go to hell, so I pick Jesus. That is, that you're setting yourself up for a, for a horrible future. I remember I was studying law and I had a, I had a bunch of friends who loved Jesus and I had a bunch of friends who, who didn't. <laughs> and I was hanging out with the ones who didn't the one night and they kept asking me these difficult questions about my faith. And I remember the one girl got really, now we're all law students, okay, so everyone knows how to argue. <laughs> so he's standing there, she's going like this and this, and how can God say this, and how can the Bible be this, and, and, and I just said, you know what, there's an eternity, there's a heaven and there's a hell, and what you choose now determines where you will spend it. She's like, what? That's not a choice. I said, I know. Like, how hard is this concept? She's like, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If that's a choice, I'm not involved. I'm like, whether you're involved or not, it's still there. It's like, whether you don't want to make the choice, it doesn't change the fact that it is the way it is. We have spoken about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus recently on Good Friday. And in that conversation, Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom of God nor enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And Nicodemus was struggling with this concept. Being born again leads to salvation. We will get into that foundation next week. What you need to know today is that being reborn must be preceded by repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think, to make a 180 degree, to, we've heard that um, today, a 180 turnaround from the direction you were going in and turn from there to God's kingdom, to God. That is why repentance is preceded by a realization that I'm going in the wrong direction. You can't have repentance if you don't have a moment where you go, whoa, um, I'm heading in the wrong direction. I've been believing a lie. You know what the power of a lie is? You don't know you're being lied to. Once you know that you were being lied to, what do you know? You know the truth. So you're not being lied to anymore. What do they call the devil as well? He's the father of We serve the father of lights. He's the father of lies. In other words, he lies the best. In other words, if you think you can't be lied to by him, <laughs> think again. That's why you need the word of God. That's why you need people around you to tell you, dude, you're believing a lie. Like I'm saying today to some people, someone here has had preconceived ideas about repentance and salvation. And I'm going to break that. Ooh. Hallelujah. That's my boy. You will not change your direction if you don't really, really realize, recognize, and admit that you were going in the wrong direction. You won't. Not really. I need to ask an awkward question. How many of the men here like to stop and ask for directions? How many of the wives are frustrated when their men don't do that? How many of the men here don't believe in GPSs? I just, I don't believe in them. I know where we're going. <laughs> and how many of those men have had these moments where you've been driving, you've been following your own nose for heaven knows how long. You have a wife that looks like this. And kids who are going, Daddy, when are we there? And your thermometer is going like this. And you could have ended it a long time ago by just admitting I was wrong. But what stands in the way? Pride, baby. Pride. I know where I'm going. No, you don't. Let's admit it and move on. Things are a little different in my house. When we get a, something to assemble, I actually go to the directions. My wife's like, no, this looks like it goes in there. Let's just, I'm like, whoa. I, I go for the sticky instructions. Okay. We, we're going to get into a side. This is the last point that I'm going to talk about, but I believe it's an important one, and I believe this is a big revelation that God has shown me this week. So let's try to focus. I know we're almost out of our normal time, but this is really important. I've noticed as I was studying this subject that many people 
pastors, leaders, many Christians believe that because there are verses that says you get saved when you believe in Jesus, or versions of that, that you don't need repentance to be saved. I don't know how you read the whole Bible in context and get to that point. I don't. But I want to address it because there might be people here or online that think, well, one day I said, Jesus, I will follow you or I believe in you. And you thought that was it. So we need to talk about that. I believe it's clear from a comprehensive reading of the word that the two are actually inseparable. When, when they say that you need to be saved, you, you will be saved if you believe in Jesus. Some say if you believe on Jesus. When Paul spoke to the, um, the Roman prison guard about his household being saved, he said to him, if you believe, in Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, you and your whole household will be saved. Um, that's one of the scriptures that they refer to. But what does that moment entail? In James, he, he, he recognizes that we, we, uh, he talks about how faith without works is dead. You know that part? All right. Paul speaks about how works of the law is dead without faith. So what is right? Both. We need to have faith, and the faith needs to have fruit. Okay? So in the context of James talking about faith without works is dead, he says, if you believe in God, you do well. The demons also believe in God and they tremble in fear. So believing in Him, in the sense of He exists, is just believing in Him. But in order for your life to change because of Jesus, when you look at Him, when you say, I believe in you, that belief is different than just acknowledging that He exists. The people that believe in Islam, the, the Muslims, they believe Jesus existed. He was a prophet. His name was Isa. They believed he, was, he existed. Didn't change their lives. Many people walk around saying, I think there is a God, but, you know, whatever. But we have to get to this point where, so there's a difference between just believing he exists and believing in him or on him. And I believe that that is a true repentance in that moment. When you say, I believe in Jesus, what are you saying? I'm stopping believing something else. What is that? It's a turnaround. What is that? It's repentance. So if I repent from what I was believing to what I do believe now, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my old way and turning to Jesus. What was that centurion about to do in the prison? He was about to kill himself. Because they were shaken loose by an act of God. He said, no, don't. We're still here. And he said, what must I do? And they said, believe in Jesus. And then his whole household got saved. That's a turnaround. Do you think he walked out there and said, oh, I'll just keep on doing what I used to be doing? No. It's a complete turnaround. If you don't believe me still, let's go to Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 29. I have never heard this preached, but I, I've read it so many times, and you may not like me after this, but it's in the Bible. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but an eternal, a certain fearful expectation of judgment, a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? It's a hard word. But it's written in the context of telling us what Jesus did. That he paid the price once and for all. That he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And it tells us the hope we have in him. But it gives us this as well. Both is true. Both is important. You may still differ from me after reading this. Do you really think 
It's possible to just believe in the existence of Jesus and not who He is and what He has done without a revelation of your sinful nature and need for Him as a Savior and that that revelation will lead to repentance. You changing the way you think, turning away from who you are and who you were, turning to God the Father to whom you now have access through Jesus and what He has done on the cross through the resurrection. You can't. You can't just go, I believe in Jesus, now my life will change. That belief has to come with the knowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Because that's who He is. He's a Savior. So if I believe in Him, I believe He's a Savior. But what is He saving? Me. Why do I need saving? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. What am I doing now? I'm repenting. Or am I? We're in front of a decision with that. Repentance can only take place where there is humility. When we think we are saved just by believing in the existence of Jesus and not in who He is and what He has done and why He has done it, we are prideful and self-righteous and we are not truly walking in the fullness of salvation. Next week we talk about salvation. We'll get into that. I forgot I have one more point. I mustn't do that thing where I say I'm landing the plane now because yeah, then maybe I don't. The last important thing I want us to understand is that there are two kinds of repentances. Repentance I? Repentance. There are two kinds of repentances. The one we've been talking about the most now is the repentance that leads to salvation. It's realizing I have been going the wrong way, having an encounter with God, realizing Humbling myself, turning to God. That's repentance unto salvation. The second kind is the kind that we do as believers probably every day or at least every week. Continuous repentance when we are falling away, when we are compromising, when we sin again. But knowing that we have a loving Father. David, King David, was called a man after God's own heart. He committed adultery, he committed murder, and many other things that were not God's will. But every time he realized he sinned, he repented, and God forgave him. In 1 John 9, it says if we sin and we need, uh, if, if we sin, we need to repent and God is faithful to forgive our sins. We read that earlier. You cannot repent if you don't realize you were wrong. You cannot realize you are wrong if you have pride and self-righteousness in the way. There's nothing more annoying to me, I'm going to say it, than a Christian who enjoys their rebellion against God and keeps calling himself a Christian. That Hebrews 10 is a powerful verse that we need to take seriously. That's why the word says God gives law to the proud and grace to the humble. I would rather receive grace than law. Luke 15, we hear about the prodigal son story. He was arrogant, prideful, entitled. He felt he deserved what was coming to him, even though he didn't work for it. And he wanted to go make an impact in the world with the least amount of effort possible. I know no millennial in this church thinks like this, but... <clears throat> I hear that outside this wall, there are some millennials who may think this way. I want to make an impact, but I don't want to work hard. The key verse in the prodigal son's story is when he came to himself. When he came to himself. He was sitting between the pigs and he realized, man, even the slaves in my dad's house eat better than I'm eating right now. And he, he, he stands up because he changed his mind. He changed his way. And he was going back to God. But he was feeling condemnation. And when he finally had the encounter with the Father, there was only conviction that led to a change in his future. The Father's love made him realize, oh man, even though I did this, I'm not condemned. But I realized I was wrong. And I need my Father. Amen? I have many more notes, but we are so out of time. I want us to get into the moment where we reflect and respond. I think I've spoken enough now.
I actually, when I started re- preparing for this, when God said, speak about repentance, I thought I was going to struggle to fill a sermon. <laughs> no, I actually struggled to get all of it out. And it just shows you how rich the Word of God is. It just shows you how much there is for us to discover. And I want to encourage all of you, make time to spend time with God. Make time to read His Word and ask Holy Spirit, Lord, show me. Show me. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting down, I'm quieting myself. I'm saying, Lord, show me. Lord, speak to me. Because I can tell you these things and you can hear it and you can feel, wow. That's awesome. Glory. Hallelujah. And you can walk out of here and it can change nothing. But what I really want is that a word like this will make each and every one of us go, loving me so much giving me a chance to repent and come to you thank you for showing me who I really am that I'm not really a sinner that needs to keep on sinning that's who I used to be but in you I can live blameless and holy I can reign in life I want to give an opportunity for anyone here or online that have never truly repented and given their lives to Jesus to do so this morning. Let's close our eyes and maybe you realize, man, I've just been going through the motions. I thought I was a Christian, but I'm probably just a cultural Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, but I don't have this. I don't have this realization of how much God loves me. I don't have this identity in Him. If that's you, just slip up your hand or Give us a a show of a thumbs up on the online if you're there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you so much. If you are here and you have given your life to Christ, but you know that you've, you've actually gone off the road He has for you, and you're missing the mark, you've backslidden, you've sinned again, you've compromised so many times, you've fallen into condemnation, And that has actually kept you away from Him. But today you realize, no, no, no. There's freedom in Christ. There's fullness in Christ. Conviction is the, is, is, leads to salvation and leads to life. I want to get out of this guilt and shame. I want to get out of this condemnation. I want to give you an opportunity to also just slip up your hand or give us a thumbs up online. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you've tried and you still feel stuck. You still feel guilty, ashamed. Whatever it might be, I want you to pray this after me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to repent of my sins, to repent of the direction I was going in, to turn to you. Lord, I choose to burn down the house of what used to be what I was following and to turn completely to you for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me. I choose to love you back. I choose to live life your way from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this time in your presence. I thank you for your word that is so powerful. Lord, I pray that everything that was preached and spoken and read today will find good soil in the hearts of people here and online. That it will bring life. Lord, I want to come against every, every lie that people believe about who you are, about what repentance is, about what salvation is. Every lie that leads to condemnation, we want to just stop now in the name of Jesus. And I speak life and healing and power and true conviction that leads to life into each person's life right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you are a loving God. I thank you that your kindness and your goodness and your love is what brings us to repentance. 
and that we can know you love us so much. We honor you. We worship you. We give you all the praise. Lord, I want to pray for every man here that you will bless them, strengthen them, guide them, help them to walk in the fullness of who they are as men of God. I want to call out the men of God in this place and online. And I want to tell you, by the Spirit of God, you are a son of the King. You are a son of the living God. That is who you are. And if no one has ever told you that you are a man, today I want to tell you, you are a man of God. You are a man of God. You are a man of God. And He loves you. And He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. I want to challenge you to love God back. And the way that looks is that you spend time with Him. That you do what He says. That you love your wife well. That you love your children well. That you bless your community. That you live a generous life. That is what it looks like. But we can never sustain that if we don't have our first love in place. This is not behavior modification. This is not sin management. This is life in Jesus that we're talking about. Step into life. Step into the fullness of His love. He loves you so much. Amen. Let's give God a big shout of praise. He is good. He is good. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church message of the week. We trust that you found that encouraging, inspiring, hopefully challenging in a good way, and that you will come back next week to listen again. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and your family. Bye-bye.